Welcome to Zenergy, the interactive podcast providing resources for building a better life. I am Zen Ashea. I'm a coach, catalyst, and conduit who launches humanity into greatness by accelerating mindset changes and replacing limitations with possibilities. Today is 100,000 Poets for Change Day, and a lot of people have never heard of 100,000 Poets for Change, so I wanted to just tell you a little bit about the organization. It was actually founded in 2011 in California. It's an international grassroots educational 501c3, so it's a nonprofit, and it focuses on the arts, especially poetry, music, and acting as a method for social change. And by change, they just mean uplifting the community, trying to deal with issues of discrimination, um, deal with inequities, uh, people who are suffering in any kind of way. So since 2011, of course, it's 2021. So it's actually the 10th year anniversary this year. And um, on this day, there's about 700 events going on in 550 cities and 95 countries that deal with social justice, um, all kinds of activism that have poets, um, comics, musicians, actors, and activists of all kinds just really getting together to promote social change. Um, and so September is that month. And actually, this past week, September 19th through the 25th, was read a poem to a child week. And so, you know, one of the things about poetry is it does open people's minds and get them to think about possibilities. And it, it has been used many times, as well as music, as well as all of the arts, to push the envelope and to try to get us to think about, you know, what if, what kind of world could we create? How could we heal our world? Um, and so I have brought two activists on the show with me today, and so I'm going to introduce them. So first I've got from Pure Justice, Roshan Evans. Say hi to the people. Thank you for having me, Zan. Hello, everyone. You're welcome. You're welcome. And I also have Sherelle Simon from Back to Eden. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. So our topic today, if you haven't guessed already, is activism and that, um, Activism means a lot of things to a lot of people. So I'm going to start off asking each one of them what activism means to them. So I'll start with you. What does activism mean to you? So when I think activism for me is doing the right thing. So like it's more so like not following the trends of activism and, to, and what's popular, but actually doing what you know you should be doing for who you should be doing it for, regardless of who that is in order to like prevent whatever problem it is you want to change. Like activism for me is making real change. You know, it's like not waiting until you're impacted by a certain problem before you get off the couch to try to rally everybody around something that affected you in a way to say, hey, this is what happened. Get everybody off the couch. You know, it's like activism is like get involved right now because you know this, whatever that this is, is not right and it need to be changed for the people so everybody can progress. And that's what activism is for me. I like that. And, and I like what that's you just really said. Cool. It reminded me of that quote from the Holocaust. 
And um, I think it was a minister who said, I didn't say anything when they came for the gypsies because I wasn't a gypsy. And I didn't say anything when they came for the Catholics because I wasn't a Catholic. And I didn't say anything when they came for the gays because I wasn't a gay. And then when they came for me, there was nobody left to say anything. Mm -hmm. You know, so he was sitting in the sense on the couch watching everything happen, even though he could have spoken up, even though he could have tried to change things. Um, and, And I thought that that was a very powerful uh, I guess statement about not waiting and sitting on the couch when you see something wrong, as you mm-hmm. said, that you know needs to be changed, but getting up and trying to use your voice, use your energy, use your connections, use whatever it is you have to impact and make change. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to come to you. What, what do you consider activism? So for me, um, I think when we, I think we like the word activism in the world right now. I think we like the word activist, but I I would really like to hone in on the fact that um, the root word is action. And so if you're not taking some form of action and whatever your cause is, whether it's political, social, um, whether it's just right from wrong, um, if we're not taking action in that, then you're, you're, we're not an activist, okay? Let, let's just say that. So for me, when I talk about activism, activism, to me, that is us actually, like Roshan said, making a change, us doing something to contribute um, to say, hey, flag on the play, this is wrong, this is not okay, this is a cause we're talking about, this is a cause um, that needs change on any level, um, you know, and, and also sharing that. Um, I feel like a lot of people may not feel like they're activists because all they're doing is sharing on Facebook or sharing on Instagram. And don't get me wrong, you can always do more. And I always encourage people to do more. Um, like you guys said, getting off the couch, right? Getting off the couch, getting off the phone and, and really stretching. But since our world today is so full of technology, even even that little bit helps. Um, when you post something, you don't know who's going to see it or when they're going to see it or how they're going to see it. Um, you don't know if their family is dealing with that same issue, um, or if it's hitting home for them or not, or maybe they had no idea that that was an issue itself. So you sharing it and them seeing it, you are being an activist. I, I, I do encourage our world to get off the couch. I agree with you guys 110 um, and try to plug in, try to do just that next step um, to make your community better, you know, so that we can join in together because that's where the progress comes from. It's, it's once, it's not just talking about it. Right. And, and it's really not just action. If I go out and do the action by myself, I'll be able to touch a few, but if we join together, and, and work on this cause or do an action or, or uh, doing a community event or getting our community to make it better, that's where the growth comes from. That's when eyes are open and heads are turned and ears can hear. That's when it happens. Yeah. Activism is progress. Activism is like, okay, we got a problem here. Mm-hmm. What just happened to who? That's happening in what community, what neighborhood, mm-hmm. to what people? How do we fix that? Mm-hmm. And you get out and you go make that happen. Another thing that um, I'd like to add, and you touched on it, um, like what you were saying, I feel like a lot of us are so focused on the, the cause that is affecting us or the cause that is affecting our family. 
And then when other causes come up, we just turn our head to it or, you know, put a blind shade up. Um, I think if you are a true activist and if you really want your community, your community and your family in this country that we're living in together, okay, if we want that progress and that growth there, then it's important for me to be active about the the causes for me, but it's also important for me to join in with you on your causes and with you on your causes. It's and I really I really want to point out that it's togetherness. It's when people came together. Look at our history. I mean, for women's, we have we have voting rights now. You know, we have equality now. That wasn't because um, a lawmaker said, you know what, let's give them that. No, it was because there are activists that stood up and they said this has to change, and they made a change. You know, so it's all about us all coming together because there's strength in numbers. That's just what it is. Yeah, and it's one more thing. I'm oh yeah, no, 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 I no, 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 throw no, out no. on activism. No. You know, like when I when I refer to uh, trend advocacy, you know, like when it comes to advocacy, we must like advocacy sh- should run parallel with morals. Mm-hmm. You know, so like what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. And if you're gonna be an activist, you should activate across the board for whatever's right, right. even when what you're trying to educate people on or be an activist towards a lot of people may not understand this is when you step up and you step in and you educate those that's listening you don't have to force people to come fight with you Mm -hmm. but when people don't understand you know the reason why you need to stand up for this because it's the right thing to do you just teach them you know instead of just being quiet and hush hush or you know uh doing nothing because you're afraid of the backlash. Like, what's wrong is wrong. What's right is right. And if you're an activist, you can't, like, pick and... Well, I guess you can pick and choose what you want to be an activist on. But... And I'm... These questions, we're going to get to it. But, uh... Because I'm going to actually bring it back up. But when I say across the board, what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong, I'm going to use for example... Um... Like what you do, right? Mm-hmm. You work with survivors. Right. So you working with survivors and then my story, I actually got sucked into the system when I was 17 behind an angry parent. So now we talk about activism. It's like when we talk about like activism when it comes to whatever charge, I believe everybody should have their due diligence to be heard. Mm-hmm. You know, so regardless of how people feel or think because of you know, what's popular, you know, like if this person shouldn't be where they are, despite their color, despite where they come from, despite how much money they have, I think that as an activist, we should stand up for what's right, even when you it's going to come with some kind of backlash, because you know you fighting for what's right, because the only way we're going to break systems down mm-hmm. is to actually stand against what's wrong to make it right. I agree. You know, um, I am the Houston organizer for 100,000 Poets for Change. And when that happened, what was, I think it was three years ago, um, this woman, Billy Duncan, she reached out to me on Messenger. I'd like to take you out to lunch. I was like, never had that kind (laughs) of message on Messenger. Okay, 
okay. She's like, I have something I want to talk to you about. I said, okay. And she took me out to lunch and she said, have you ever heard of 100,000 Poets for Change? And I'm like, no. And she's like, well, it's this grassroots organization that's all about artivism, basically using the arts as a form of activism. She's like, you already do this. You have a show. You combine your show with all kinds of social issues. Um, And it's, I had never met this woman before. I was not her Facebook friend. And I'm, I'm like, how do you know this? And she's like, everybody knows this. People talk about you. Everybody talks about you. I'm like, everybody talks about me? And she's like, yes, yes, everybody talks about you. I was like, okay, well, what is everybody saying? She's like, they're saying that you bring people together, that you connect people, that you, that you use your show as a platform for activism. And I was like, well, that's true. Okay. And she's like, so would you be the organizer for 100,000 Poets for Change? I'm like, well, what do I need to do? And she's like, take over the Facebook page and have at least one event every year where you talk about activism and and, and do what you already are doing. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I can do that. That's, that sounds very simple. You know, and uh, so I grew the page. I think it was 400, no, like 300 when I got it. So we have over... I think 1,500 people now that follow the page. And I've used the page to promote, you know, whenever you post something that's going on, a water drive, a food drive, whatever, whatever, I'll put it on the page, you know, so people know what's going on. But also, um, it's just a way, again, to connect people. You were talking about protests. You know, when the protests were going on, I was posting that on the page, you know, any kind of thing that I runs across my timeline that's about, you know, social justice or um, any any kind of social movement, I post it and just try to get people out. And, and you know, uh, you and I met, of course, at the Shrine of the Black Madonna, but then I had you come out to one of my shows to talk about your book and also talk about when you were um, trying to get people to get their records looked at to see if they could get them expunged, you know? And um, so it is taking, to me, activism, going back to what is activism. To me, activism is trying to use your life to affect change. And whether that is on your job, um, in your personal life, in whatever platform you're given, you know, I was born, I always say this, I was born into a family of activists. My grandparents um, housed the Freedom Riders. I I always tell the story, my grandmother and grandfather used to sit on the porch when the Freedom Riders would come back from the rides with shotguns um, so they could sleep at night because they didn't want the Klan to come in the middle of the night and take them. And, um, you know... My parents marched, my uncles marched, my, my aunts marched, my uncles in the, uh, the law books, the, what is it, the state of Louisiana versus Garner was the case that actually overturned segregation at lunch counter. So that's actually my uncle who's passed on now. But so I was, I didn't have choice. You know, I think I went to my first protest at 13. Um, so and voting was not a choice in my family. Um, doing certain things, just you had a more. My mom was in all kind of community organizations. Uh, I, I can't like she would come. She was an entrepreneur, 
she would come home and be going out to do something else for the community, you know? And whenever there was somebody at church that was like homeless going through it, they ended up in the back of our house. We had an addition. They ended up in the back of our house. You know, I would come home and there would be, who's staying back there now? Oh, okay. Okay. Hi. Oh, you're from Honduras. Oh, okay. You didn't have a place to stay? No. Okay. Okay. It's nice to meet you. So I grew up, um, with a revolving door in our house, we had people staying with us all the time. Um, my mom was known for, she saw somebody on the side of the road with a kid picking them up. I'm thinking to myself, Lord Jesus, one of these days something's going to happen to us. <laughs> she would literally pick them up, buy my hotel room, buy groceries for them. I'm like, mom, she's like, God will bless me. God will bless me. I, just, I, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. If I can do it, I should do it. And, and that was kind of the way that I grew up. You know, if I can do it, I should do it, you know? And, um, so it was a very weird childhood in a sense, not normal at all. Um, but I, I'm grateful for the experiences that I had because, you know, I learned generosity. I learned even, um, I guess just going out of your comfort zone, doing what you could, you know, so my mom was very, very active and my dad just went along <laughs> with her doing whatever she was doing, you know? Um, and so I, like I said, I, I think when I say activism is using your life, my mom used her money, her home, her time, her energy, her business, um, everything that she had to help um, others, you know, and there didn't seem to be any limit to what she would do, uh, which was a little scary for us as kids, you know, uh, but but uh, it was quite an adventure. And so, you know, when I do the things that I do that people sometimes they think are so strange, um, this is kind of how I was raised to think. If you can do it, do it and figure it out later. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so to me, that's kind of what activism is, is doing what you can do to help the community and help other people um, and, and trying to be a positive force for change. And, and I was definitely raised with the fact that because of what I have, I owe it because there were people before me who didn't have it. Um, and they sacrificed so that I could have it. So I need to be grateful for that and, and, and do the same thing for others, pay it forward, you know, pay it forward, constantly paying it forward. Um, and I, I saw this meme, it says something like, activism is my price for living the way I live in this world. Having the ability for all of us as black people to be having a platform right now. Somebody paid for us to do this with blood and sweat and tears, right. you know, cause we, without their sacrifice, wouldn't even have this platform. Um, and so my next question is like, what kind of led you to this path? Cause me, I think I was born into it. Um, and I think even, like I said, I can't remember a time when I wasn't involved in some way in activism. Um, so I guess we'll start with you. What kind of led you to, but and let me say this before you start. 
there are a lot of people who go through a lot of things. There are people who get falsely charged as you were, and they just become bitter and angry and hate the system and hate cops and, and, and hate white people and hate whoever. And they don't become activists. So what do you think caused you to take your situation and use it as um, an, a, a catalyst for becoming an activist? To be honest with you, I really don't know. Like, mm. I grew up, you know, I can recall, you know, where I was treated certain ways because I was black. And yes, I am an 80s baby. I'm not uh, from the 60s or the 50s. And I know it was worse then. But, you know, I've had my situations to where I was stereotyped. I've had my situation where I was sucked into the criminal justice system where nobody cared about my story. And I, I actually was pushed into a plea deal you know, to avoid prison time. I've had my situations to where it just seemed like, you know, for people of color and then black people on another level and then black men on another level, you know, we experience life different than other people. And I'm just looking around and I'm like, why? Why does life happen this way for some? And then I'm looking at my experience and my experience broke me down. Like, my experience, like, pushed me in a mental space to where I didn't think I can do it. I didn't want to do it. Like, I used to sit up here and think I didn't want to live anymore. You know, like, I would sit here, just, I was depressed. I didn't want to do anything. But one day, and I can't tell you when this day was, but something clicked off into me and said, the thing... The worst thing that ever happened to you could be the best. And I'm sitting up here, and when you, like, just think of, you know, I don't care what kind of Bible you look in. It could be a Christian Bible, a Koran, whatever. But it's like, well, you know what? Let me put it like this. Life, to me, it seemed like it's a, like, job interview and we just going through this interview but the interview was really life and they say god won't give you more than you can handle right so even though you go through something terrible and it's like well why me why did i have to go through this or why did how did that happen to that person it's like okay if you truly believe right and you know god won't give you anything that you can't handle then just because you went through something so terrible then most people can won't even comprehend how to get out of it you know it's like if you look deep into that situation that may be nasty for you it's beauty somewhere in that you just have to find it you have to dig deep in whatever problem that you just experienced and figure out you know why why was this for me why was i why am i here why did i have to experience this so me I feel like that was another, like, my story, this was another door opening for me. Like, I went through so many doors. Like, this door is a door people would choose not to go through. But yet, this is the door that I found out that life is really bigger than me. This is the door that I had to go through that I figured out this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And that this is activism. Activism, dismantling racism for everybody. So, honestly, 
I don't know how to answer that, Zen. <laughs> you, you gave us a great answer. I would like you to hold up your book for the people who are um, looking. And can you tell the people who are listening, you know, who will listen later, what the title of your book is? Yes. So my book is called Stolen Identity. Now, um, most people, when you think of stolen identity, you'll think of like fraud or credit card theft, social security card theft. Mm-hmm. But this talk about how the criminal justice system, the judicial system, define us as individuals and they tell us who we are with criminal records. And once we get hit with that criminal record, regardless of how we got it, we conform to the system because they tell us where we can't live, what we can't do, where we, what they not going to pay us. I would not allow the system to define me. I will define myself and use my story to heal and help other people. This number at the bottom, this is actually my prison number, 1953521. I went to prison behind my case. And this here in the book cover, this is actually me, and I am faded out and I'm replaced with the prison system. Stolen identity. Well, that's a powerful, powerful image. And, you know, I wanted to come to you next because the identity that we have is not just stolen by the prison system. It's, it can be stolen in a lot of ways. And um, that's one way that is very difficult to get out of. You know, for most people, it's very difficult to get a record expunged or to try to move past whatever limitations have been put on you by um, a, a sentence or by a record, you know, um, But, you know, as a survivor of domestic violence, I know that when you go through that, um, there are a lot of women that feel like they have their identity stolen. You know, they lose themselves completely and they have to redefine themselves uh, and redefine themselves, you know. So even though it's it's, um, different, there's there's still some similarities that I can, you know, I've never been a part of the criminal justice system, but I've I've seen it impact several people that I know closely. Um, and in fact, one of my sons, uh, when he was locked up, we sent a book to him. You, you, you autographed a book for him <laughs> and sent it to him. And I remember him telling me how much he was... Um, really impacted by your story and how he was, you know, talking to people as he was there about, you know, man, read this, you know, this really helped me. It really gave me a lot of encouragement and, 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 and he was kind of passing your book around kind of to people. Cause he was like, you know, this really, it's really uplifted me. You know, you should read it. You should read it, you know, but I wanted to come to you next, you know, and ask you the question, well, two questions, really, <laughs> that whole idea of stolen identity, if you want to bring that up. But also, what do you think made you go on this path of activism? So um, I'll start with that one first, the second okay. one first. But definitely want to touch on the other one, too, because I think um, not trying to dive too deep <laughs> so, so quick, but I think what you just said is so powerful. And I think there's a lot of people that don't understand that um, they think it's so easy for um a person to come out of a domestic violence situation and it's not, it's not that easy. Um, and it doesn't happen overnight. 
Um, so, but going back to why, <laughs> what brought me into activism, um, I am a PK, which is a preacher's kid. Um, both of my parents uh, were preachers. Um, even, my mom, even before she passed in 2012. Um, and so growing up as a, a PK, my parents were... Um, the type of preachers that brought it to the streets. They brought it to the communities. Um, we had block parties. And, and as a child growing up in that type of environment, it you it's almost like you're subjected to all of this love for people. And I, I am honestly, and, and I know, um, and I tell everybody when they ask me about my story, when they ask me about how I was raised or anything along those lines, I always say, I'll, I'm so blessed. I, I had a different, I know there's a lot of people out there and I've heard so many stories and some of the closest people to me have stories that are, um, very difficult to even hear. Um, and that's going to be the best way I could probably put that into words. But, um, so being, um, having parents, um, and coming from a big family. So, and having parents that were so into ministry that literally the way we lived was God first ministry, then work, work came second in our house. <laughs> okay. God and ministry was at the top at all times. And, um, my parents would bring people into their home and teach them Bible studies, try to help them, um, buy them food if they needed to, what, whatever they could do in their means, they would do it. And then if they could connect them to someone else, um, they would do that as well. So, um, if, if they had a connection like, Hey, this person needs help. Um, and even if, even if it was just a mental illness that someone was dealing with, my parents would be the one to say, hey, I'm here for you. Hey, I'm going to call you every day. Hey, I'm going to check on you. Hey, I'm going to text you. I'm going to pray for you. Um, I'll pick you up and bring you to church myself, you know. So they've always kind of gone out of their way to help as well. And honestly, I believe if we had an extra room in the back, they would have <laughs> they took some people in as well. So I, I resonate with what you're saying so, so much. Um, so I've always, from... From as long as I can remember, I've always wanted to help people and I've always wanted to be involved and I've always been involved through ministry. Um, but as an, a young adult, I realized that that wasn't enough for me. I, I wanted to help people on a larger scale. And especially after my mom passed, you know, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, you look so much like her and you talk like her and you have her spirit. And um, every time that was brought up, it's like, man, but she did so much. I, I got to catch up. Like I got to, if I have this, I got to do something with it. Right. Like I got to use my voice. I got to, you know, I got to do something. And so, um, like I said, I moved here to Texas and that's something, the first thing that stood out to me was becoming a CHW, a community health worker. I was like, okay, okay, God, I can be in the community. I can help. Like that's, that was my goal. And that's what, that's what drove me was, was helping people. Um, and that's pretty much how it, how I've gotten to this point that I am now. Um, now to touch on what you were saying about the stolen identity. So first, the first thing I want to say is that anyone's identity can be stolen. Okay. Um, and, and I don't say that lightly. I say that in the way this world is today, you can become so consumed with things that are, um, let's say not that don't pertain to you 
I can say that. And then I'm also going to say it in a way of you can also be consumed with people and you can lose yourself. And I'm not trying to belittle what we're meaning by stolen identity, identity, but for me also, I'm also an advocate for mental health. And that's where that falls under. People feel like, you know, and then with our cultures and um, with the way that we're raised and we're, we're taught to be strong and stay strong. And okay, I know you went through trauma, but get, pick, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and keep going. And sometimes it's not that easy for some people. And then they continue to keep going, but they've left themselves behind. So I, I, do, I just wanted to state that, that, and in my opinion, if, if I had my way, it would be a law that you had to go see someone and talk to somebody about what you've been through and what's going on, because I feel like everyone could be helped in that way. And I'm a huge advocate for mental health. Now, fast forwarding to um, domestic violence situations. There's so many people, men, women, children that are in family violence situations and um intimate partner violence situations where they do feel like their identity has been stolen. And a lot of times we, when we hear about domestic violence, we hear women, women, women. And that's only because there's more women that come up, come forward than men. But there are men in those types of situations as well. And I think the most important part, um, so I'm so glad that you even mentioned it and, and connected those two when you said that, um, is these women get so lost. And a lot of times some of the, um, there's kind of like a power and control will. Um, if you've ever kind of researched domestic violence, things like that, there's certain tools on that power and control will that the perpetrator will use, um, to gain control over that person, over the survivor or, or the victim. And, a lot of those things, and it starts off by cutting people off from that victim or from that survivor. So starting with family, friends, um, I love you, you love me, I'm all you need, um, that, that type of thing. And it starts there and it's like, oh, they love me so much, they just want me to themselves. And it's easy to push that off and it's easy to say that. And we're, you know, if, if you're hopeless romantic, you're like, oh, okay, like this is, you know, he like just really loves me. That's what it is. Or she just really loves me. That's what it is. You know, I'm sorry. I don't want to cut you off, but I kind of almost wanted to high five you. <laughs> we can you high know, five. Like, Let's go. <laughs> because like I was just talking activism across the board. And this is activism across the board. Like acknowledging that not only women experience certain things, but right. men as well. Right. And just because we don't, or it may be harder for us to talk about certain things when we come out to be an activist on issues like this, right. we need to speak up for our men and our women. I Everybody agree. that experienced this problem, because that's the only way we're going to fix the issue. But I am so sorry. I no, I'm glad you said that, you. because every time, um, every time I get a chance to bring that up, I do it. Because I feel like that is so powerful, and it's, it's so um, important that... These men are going through some things, you know, and even children deal with this type of stuff, young relationship teens. And I've done I've I've, I've been in um, the child care child care field for over 10 years before I became a CHW. So I the children are my heart. The teens are my heart. I say it all the time. The babies, that's our future. They have to be our heart. It's important. I'm going to go off on a tangent, so I'm going to come back. <laughs> but I think, it's, I think it's very important that you brought that up. Um, 
and and that you caught that because it's it's very important and I feel like men need to know that if you come forward, there's going to be other men, there's going to be other women, there's going to be people in general that's going to back you. Like, we got you. You know, like, you can come forward. Let's make a difference in your life. You don't have to deal with that. You don't have to stay in those situations. When you're ready, if you want to come forward, you can come forward. The Like I said, with women, I think... There's been so many and there's and there is so many cases. And I honestly believe if we had a real tally, if 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 every man came forward that dealt with any type of domestic violence situation, family violence issue, anything of that sort, I think the numbers would shock us. I think I truly think the numbers would shock us because when you think about domestic violence, you know, and then from the victim or survivor standpoint, you know, they think, oh, you know, well, he didn't hit me. So it's not domestic violence. I'm sorry. Verbal abuse. That's abuse. That's violence. Um, There's sexual abuse. That's that's violence. Even if it's your husband, your boyfriend, that's still violence. There's it doesn't just have to be physical abuse. It could be economic abuse. Um, and I think people don't see it like that. And even from the perpetrator side, I feel like sometimes they're like, well, if I didn't put my hands on her, then I'm okay. As long as I didn't put my hands on her, like uncle so-and-so did to my aunt or dad did to my, or whatever the case is. Um, I feel like people don't realize what it is. And it's because of that. There's a lot of men also that don't realize that they've dealt with, abuse because they're like well she's not hitting me but she's taking the car you you can't go anywhere she's she's threatening to take the children away from you you know it's there's other ways of abuse and um i just that just really (laughs) hit home for me because I, i i i very much believe in everyone who has dealt with any or if, if you don't even know if you're dealt with it, but you feel like you're resonating or you feel like you resonate with it when, um, you know, you hear about it, come forth anyway. Let's find out. Let's work through it. I agree with you on that. You know, I wanted to. We've been talking about what activism means to us. We've been talking about how we got our start in it. And, and now I wanted to actually dive into what groups you represent and what services you guys offer to the community. So I'll start with you. Okay. So before I jump into who I am, the org I represent and the services we offer, right? I do want to comment real fast on oh, something that's you fine. said. And you said you would come home and you would look in the back and it would be like different people here in the house and people from Honduras. And you say, oh, wow, where are you from? Honduras. Okay, you living here. Nice to meet you. You know, and I just want to say with activism, as soon as we understand as activists, dismantling racism means fight for everyone. The, the activism is it should be issue based and not race based because the problem is white supremacy, racism. As soon as we figure out that when we fight for a cause and dismantle the problem for all, then everybody can heal. But if we only dismantle something temporarily for a group, it has a possibility of coming back around or not a possibility. It's coming back. It's just when whatever that was that we fought for. So I like that. Um, the Pure Justice Organization is who I represent. 
I'm the co-founder of the organization. We work to bring fairness and equity to the criminal justice system, and we create economic opportunities for marginalized groups. Now, our organization as a whole really don't do services, but yet, since I am a founder and my partner is the other founder and we both young, we can sometimes, you know, when life hits emergency stages for people, we jump into emergency action. Yes. So when people need and we see you need because we keep having these disasters, mm-hmm. you know, depending on the community need at that time, we shift gears. We're not going to sit back and wait on you know, um, our electeds and I love the electeds, some of the electeds, I'm trying to figure out how we can like actually figure out how to work together, you know, but like, we're not finna sit here and watch people sit around trying to figure out how to get what they need in times of chaos. We jump into action, you know, whether that's, uh, making sure people got food, uh, during a winter storm, you know, because nobody has electricity, making sure people have hot meals or, you know, making sure, you know, uh, when COVID come and nobody has jobs anymore, that people still have money to keep cell phones on or pay rent or relocate from an abuser. You know, uh, like, so our organization, we're really not service-based, right? Because what we understand is that Everybody offers services and everybody needs services. But if you really want longevity solutions for the community, you need policy. So we work round the clock to figure out how do we create policy so that way we don't have to keep giving short-term solutions. We want to give you a permanent solution that can boost you up because now it's mandatory because it's written in policy. But some of the stuff that we are working on um, right now is police accountability. Um, with our police accountability, it is in coalition uh, with a couple other groups, uh, Restoring Justice, the Civil Rights Corps. Um, we have a couple lawyers and a couple other people, a lot of other people involved. Actually, we're trying to figure out how do we prevent police abuse? Now, a lot of people just hear that and say, there's no way, you know. It is what it is, and you can't stop it. I don't think so. Um, and what we're doing, we setting up, uh, um, we setting a stage now. And instead of creating a class action for a whole bunch of people that experience the same problem, what we're doing, we're collecting stories. We have a police hotline. Actually, I should actually give that hotline number. I'm going to pull it while I talk. But this police hotline and the stories that we're collecting is from people who experience police abuse, whether it's verbal, whether it's you getting pulled over at a stoplight and law enforcement getting out with guns, whether they uh, talking to you condescending because of, you know, you're black, whether they kicked your teeth out your mouth, and then really didn't have nothing to charge you with. Like, we taking all police abuse. Like, if you feel that law enforcement mishandled you in any kind of way, we ask you to call this hotline because we want this story and we want to overload the civil courts with civil suits. Mm-hmm. No class action. We want to overload the courts with civil suits. Individual civil suits, your own lawyer 
where we take each case on a one-by-one basis and focus on you and your problem alone. And I'm going to get that hotline number real fast. If we have a police brutality hotline number, it's 281-779-4409. That's 281-779-4409. We have people sitting around waiting on your phone call. Uh, to collect that story, to review it with a lawyer to see if it's a possible claim, and then we'll take it from there. Uh, We're also trying to figure out how to get fair chance housing. I see a lot of people, groups, that talk about fair chance housing, but then when I reach out to dissect the fair chance housing, that fair chance housing is not uh, fair chance housing for people like me. It's not really fair. It's using words to give an illusion that you're doing something for the people. And it's not really what the people need. Because when you start talking about affordable housing, and then you start asking people what is affordable, and they can't really give you an affordable number. And the affordable number fluctuates with gentrification. And if you ain't talking about affordable from minimum wage, then we ain't really talking about affordable. So we're working on fair housing. And then um, we work in indigent defense. Indigent defense, we believe everybody, no matter what, should be heard. Adequate counsel. You need due process. And I'm tired of watching people get sucked into the system, pushed into plea bargains, and doing time because they really just didn't have enough money to pay for their innocence. So we've been working uh, with a group. um, Actually, we've been working with a group. a uh, couple people in the political world to push something like a Mac, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's where y'all not familiar with a Mac, right? No. no. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we're like, no. the, the Mac, I'm thinking of return of the Mac. That's a Mac, that's a Mac that came to mind to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, somebody put the Mac on somebody. So no, I know that's not what you're talking about. No. Yeah. I don't no. know what, 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 what Mac you're talking about. <laughs> so now it's an independent oversight committee. Okay. You know, um, now we got it for misdemeanor courts and juvenile, but the, like what it is, it's an independent committee that monitors, you know, what judges is appointing to what court appointments. You know, it's monitoring how many cases the court appointments take per year because you're only allowed supposedly to take a certain uh, number. But yet, you got some lawyers taking seven and 800 cases a year. And it, it's just way too many. So if you're taking seven, eight hundred cases a year, your main goal is to push everybody into plea deals because you really can't uh, focus on any one case. You know, so it's just making sure that people actually have time to properly prepare for somebody's defense. You know, and then they also created um, the public defender's office trying to pull some of the cases away from the court appointed, you know, to give people adequate representation. So we're working with... Uh, trying to see if we can get a Mac for felony court as well. So that's what we're doing right now. Um, as far as the services, you know, we have, uh, we're like a bridge building organization, you know, like we love to figure out everybody and who's doing what. And when people do need, if we don't have, I promise you, whatever that may be, we almost have somebody 
that can cover whatever needs you have, whether it's food, whether it's um, maybe some type of funding, you know, relocation, you know, so we, that's what we doing. All right. Awesome. Awesome. I wanted you to mention your other book and I know you have a kid's book too. Mm-hmm. Well, so that kid's book is really an adult book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I, I almost brought some, um, the, the, so, okay. My story starts on stolen identity. I left this book off on a cliffhanger. Like, when I wrote this book, I was still going through everything that I was going through. And I was mentally, like, I was still trying to figure out how would this end for me. And I was going through a lot when I wrote this. I had no idea how my story or this would end for me. So I left it where it was, in prison. I didn't really know how it will end. The domino effect is what's going to give stolen identity closure. And that'll tell you how I got from point A to point B. Now, with the graphic book, that is an adult book, is ages 13 to 153. All right. All that right. book is stolen identity and graphics. Now, okay. it's less detail, but it's graphics because I understand that people do not have a lot of time to read. You know, they working 50 and 60 hours a week. You know, they doing, they just got so much going. Like, even though this book is crafted in a short paragraph, easy read form, they still may not be able to get through it. Plus, I wanted to encourage younger people to get into my story because I want them to know, you know, like, what to look out for, what could possibly happen if you find yourself in certain situations so you do not have to go through what I went through. So I want to encourage younger people to dig off into my book. That is 13 and 14 and 15. So I put it in a graphic form so they can like visually see some of what I had to experience. And hopefully that graphic book would take them to stolen identity. Okay. Awesome. Well, now I wanted to shift to you and I wanted you to tell us about Back to Eden, what what services you offer and all of that. So, yes. So um, I am the vice president of Back to Eden. I'm blessed to have that position. (laughs) Um, So with Back to Eden, we are a service provider. Um, We are a nonprofit as well. Um, And we have, we do take in clients and our goal, like what you were saying, um, the goal for your nonprofit is not short term, but it's long term. And we are the same way. Um, That's how Back to Eden was built um, on um, the founder, Miss Kathy. Um, Her vision was not just helping these people coming out of these situations, but getting them to the point where they are now successful and they're on their own feet. Um, So we do a few different things for our clients. We do case management. We have support groups. um, And everything that I'm saying right now, I do want to state that it's on our website, Back to Eden Fellow.org. Again, that's Back to Eden Fellow.org, completely spelled out. 
and everything. The, if you want to volunteer for our event, so we do partner with Role Models of America. Um, great organization, great people, great people. Um, and basically, they are a bridge organization where they they get in a lot of donations from um, much larger companies like Walmart and even Target and places like that. Um, and what they do is they take those and then they disperse them to other nonprofits so that we can hand them out. So what we do is every month um, we take a Saturday, we schedule with um, low income apartments in our targeted communities, which is Independence Heights, um, Acres Homes, um, Brazoria County and Fort Bend County. And we go out to one of those apartments and we just give away all of these donations, everything from um, baby clothes and diapers and wipes to clothing to household items to um, even sometimes there's technology items in there um, and toys and things like that for the kids as well. Um, and again, all of that, all the information, if you want to be involved, as well as just some pictures and videos, if you want to see that all on our website. Um, and I believe there's maybe a few videos with our YouTube as well. Um, so we do those things. Um, also for our clients, like I said, case management, we have our support groups. We give out bus card, food cards. Um, we help in literally every way that we can. And we are branching services as well. We're working on transitional housing right now for single women. Um, with our target um, population. Um, so, and what that means is there's a lot, like if you really do a search for just Houston, for the communities that I just mentioned, there are transitional housing. There's transitional housing for youth, for teens, things like that. There's also transitional housing and shelters for women with children. Very rarely do you see a transitional house or I don't believe we have any in our targeted communities that are just uh, strictly for single women. And um, we're working on it. We're building it. It's going to be great. Um, our goal with that, with those with that transitional house, um, um, and the Lord says the same houses, hopefully we can do more than um, one. Um, our goal with that is that when they come in, they leave with information on how to keep their credit up. We teach them fin uh, finances. We teach them um, how the whole credit world works, right? So that can be very confusing for people. And so we teach them that. We make sure that they have a job or some type of education under their belt. And if they don't or not connected, we are connected with programs um, and we're connected with other nonprofits as well that does offer free classes for CNA um, or phlebotomy, things like that. Um, so we can also help them economically as well. And so our goal is, and uh, with our transitional house, we have like a limit, like a two-year limit. And then by that two years, you are ready to not only move out, but own your own house. You're not going to another shelter. You're not going to another transitional house. You'll be ready to own your own house um, and even go and buy or move into your own apartment, that type of thing. We really want to make a difference. There's so many nonprofits out there that support and that service um, domestic violence situations. However, very, very few of them 
continue on. It's a, oh, you're in this situation right now. Let me help you um, get out. Here's a shelter number. Here's some food. But there's nothing that's going to keep them going. There's nothing really long term. And so Back to Eden is based in all of our services and the way that we've structured them are all based to be long term. We want to help you long term. Um, and we want to get people through this and move on with their lives. Let them find their new selves. Um, we also do protective. We help with protective orders safety planning um there's so much <laughs> so much um that we're doing now and then that also that we're bringing to um we're adding to our, our services and scaling those so um we're really blessed um we do have um october is domestic violence awareness month um so just so for everyone to know if you're watching if you're listening definitely post something make it known be an activist in your own right um share the word um for sure for sure if you want to give you can give on our website we have a we're going to have a campaign on indiegogo starting for october 1st you'll be able to give there as well um we even have a tiktok so be looking for our tiktok as well um we're really trying to reach people and spread this word and um really activate people also you know i think another huge part of activism and being an activist is to activate somebody else it's more than just spreading the cause more than just bringing awareness activate someone else touch somebody else say hey let's get involved why not get involved like what you said i thought that was so powerful if you can do it then do it you know and like i said even even if you're not well um if even if you're not comfortable with leaving your home, then blow up social media with the truth. Blow up, you know, touch who you can with awareness for every cause that you can. You know, not just the ones that pertain to, um, you know, your cause or your family. Like I said, like like you were saying, not just racial. Okay, this world is so much bigger than that, and there's so many other problems than just racial. Um, and if you're gonna do racial, then be activate be an activist for everyone everyone just, you know so I, I i really i wanted to say that earlier and i, I was like no let me hold it <laughs> i'm gonna hold it but i i really believe in that like if you're gonna be an activist and if you um love activism then activate someone else and do act be an activist for every cause stand up for what's right period mm -hmm. for what's right when uh people know you care they are so ready to get involved. Like, and I, I want to, this is, this story here, what happened to me when I was a kid, like, I don't activate around that. But I use the books to fundraise for my org to activate on community need. So, that's right. If you're going to be an activist... Active, be an activist for everybody, not right, just on what's your what's affecting you. Like, don't just only want to work with what's impacted you. Like, like get involved in fixing the system as a whole. So that's right. I agree. So she told you where to find her uh, website back to Edenfellow.org. Where can people find you? How can they buy your books? So you can go to the Pure Justice website. That's P-U-R-E-J-U-S-T-I-C-E dot org. That's purejustice.org. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. That's Pure Justice at Facebook, Instagram, and uh, what is that? Instagram and um, Twitter. 
I don't, I'm not the Twitter, uh, the social media <laughs> handle, but the, the Twitter and Instagram, it's purejustice underscore HTX at Instagram or uh, Twitter. And that's how you can purchase my books. You can inbox, send a message, or just visit the website. If you visit the website and you can order T-shirts, books, any book that you order on the website will come autographed and personalized. Uh, if you do not have the time to read, even though this book is structured, short paragraph, easy read form, you can also get it on the Audible platform. Any Audible platform, if you type in Stolen Identity, you will see Stolen Identity. It will pop up. Uh, you can get it on the Audible platform and let it read to you for about two hours. And this is one of his shirts that I'm wearing. It says Sassy Activist on it. So I got this from him. Like two years ago, I think. That, it was. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's yeah. a nice shirt. I like that. <laughs> I need one. I, you know, and I didn't mention, we are on Facebook and Instagram as well. Um, we're all over um, Back to Eden Fellow or Fellow Program. Um, and that's that's where we're on on Facebook um, as well as on Instagram as well. So we are, we're all over, but I will t- um, tag on what you said. Our website itself would be the best if you want to know what's going on how it's happening even what we're doing with um uh just from month to month and just kind of like a how we're going and what's happening it's all there all there if you want to get involved um and volunteer or if you want to donate all of it's there as well okay so we're kind of coming to the end of, of the show, but um, I wanted to shout out, you know, there's so many different community organizations. I was at the Shape Center yesterday. Um, you know, Baba Fana had his uh, memorial service at Shrine and also at the Shape Center. And uh, for people who don't know, he was um, a person who had been active for 57 years wow. in community uh, work um, in all kinds of liberation movements to to liberate people who are oppressed in many different ways, um, dealing with trying to get people to have better health habits, um, better mental health habits, to just educate people um, and just uplift people in many different ways. And uh, he definitely influenced my life for about the last five years of my life. Um, and so I kind of wanted to end this podcast with a poem that I wrote for him and for his memorial. Um, and just those people that are out there, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're middle age, whatever, um, what, what is your legacy going to be? That's my question to kind of get you thinking. Um, we all can go to work and pay bills. That's not a legacy having a a roof over your head is not a legacy. Um, that's just survival and we all need to survive. Surviving is important, but there has to be to me something more than just getting up, going to work and paying bills. Um, and I'm, I'm reading rich dad, poor dad. And one of the, I think I'm in chapter three right now. And he's talking about how, um, you can either have, you can either work for money or you can have money work for you. But to take that even further, you can either just work for money or you can actually have a legacy that you're working on. Um, and I think that the people that have a purpose and feel like they're doing something worthwhile, 
um, it goes deeper than just going to work and getting a paycheck and paying bills. It goes into what are they putting into the lives of others and what are they putting into their community and what, what, what can they see changing because of what they've done? You know, and when you look around you and you can see, you know, nonprofits, um, have to kind of keep track of where their efforts are going and who they're impacting and how many people they have served. Um, that's part of proving that you are worth the grant or worth the, the services that you're offering. So, you know, they have to keep those kind of records, but as an individual, I think that we all should be taking stock, you know, and saying, who am I impacting? And, and is it something outside of these four walls of my house? Um, who am I touching? What, what am I leaving behind? What is my legacy going to be? Um, and so I wanted to kind of end with this poem because when I think about Baba Fana, you know, we spent yesterday at the Shape Center talking about all the people that, well, not even all the people, the people that showed up who wanted to talk about how they had been impacted and, and the legacy that he had left. So this river, I've known a river, an ancient golden river. My soul has grown deep like this river. I remember the first night I saw you, intent hands moving, lost in the flow of words and rhythms, intoxicating, mesmerizing. I was awed. The music words, living, breathing, healing, flowing like water. My soul will grow deep like this river. I don't remember you playing behind me, but the pictures tell that union. Both our eyes close like a trance. Our melody deep like the rivers. And at Capone's you were, I was, a dozen musicians, jazz deep like the rivers. You followed me to a second show and played two more hours, energy deep like the rivers. And then you invited me to your class for months, patience deep like the rivers. I came, learned, grew, changed, found a new family, an old family, a soul family, a spirit family, bonding deep like the rivers. When one steps in a river, it flows uncontrolled, untamed, ancient as the flow of human blood in human veins. It cleanses, pushes, pulls, currents moving, never still. Civilizations are built on the backs of mighty rivers. We built shows, four, five classes. We taught together, ate together, spoke, cried, laughed together. And even when we were silent, the vibe alive like the river. Understanding wisdom change growth deep like the rivers. Memory, history, reverence wide like the rivers. Compassion, generosity, help strong like the rivers. Out of our bellies shall flow rivers of living water. I tried to count the years and failed for who can measure a river who can honor its magnitude, its potential, its impact? It would take a lifetime. My soul will grow deep like this river. I've known a river, an ancient golden river. 
I have not cried. My tear ducts produce no rivers. My soul will channel this river and flow and become the legacy of this river. So I want to thank you for joining us and I want to invite you to become a channel, to become an activist, to get involved somewhere, somehow, doing something to make our world a better place. What is that? Do you say it together? We will change the world. That's right. <laughs> Together we will change this world. Together we will change this world. So I want to kind of end on that note. And I am Zenashe. It's spelled Z-E-N-A-S-E. If you look for me on Instagram, Zenashe Poetry. Same thing on Facebook, Zenashe Poetry. Um, you can see on this table, those of you that are watching, all kinds of inspirational merchandise. I have uh, magnetic bookmarks. I have T-shirts. I have mugs. I have affirmation cards. I have guided journals. I even have a thing called a worry stone and they come in all different. These are natural stones. They have a thumb indentation. But why don't you read the little, uh, there's a poem that comes with it. These are ancient spidget, spidget spinners, basically stress balls. Um, ancient peoples used to use these to hold and to give themselves calm. So it's a mental health tool. Um, so could you read the little sure. poem? Worry stone. The worry stone's a miracle. It's better than a tonic. <laughs> it's constantly stays stoned and is made of Mexican onyx. The worry stone can hold your problems at bay. So use your thumb and forefinger and rub your worries away. Yeah, so this is something that I'm adding to my store. So they come in all different colors and shapes. And there's a thumb indentation, so you can actually kind of rub it. And it just is soothing. And it's beautiful to look at. So, um, But I have all kinds of things for inspiration. And one of the reasons that I also have these is because if you change, it ripples out. Um, you know, if you look at my little Zenergy thing, the, the whole image and logo of my podcast is the butterfly effect a butterfly in water if you change the change ripples out and it impacts your circle so my tagline is enhance your life impact your circle so it doesn't matter what episode that you watch or listen to of this podcast it's all about activism it's all about getting yourself right and then having that ripple out into your life and ripple out into your circle, your, your community, your friends, your family, your neighborhood, your church, your business, your job, and being a force for positive change. So, you know, as Michael Jackson would say, I'm starting with the man in the mirror, yes. you know, and then it's rippling out from me. So, Thank you guys for joining us and may you walk in Zenergy. Have a great night. My name is Zenashe and I have a weekly podcast called Zenergy, which is fuel for the mind, body, and soul. And this is the Zenergize Your Life Goal Setting Package, Volume 1. It comes with a workbook, a journal, stickers, a bookmark, tabs, and a QR code where you can find my podcast. And inside this workbook, you're going to have 16 different principles. The first one, I'm going to show you mine. 
is abundance. You have a place to put pictures that inspire you of role models, also pictures of goals that you want to create, goals, journal prompts, meditations, affirmations, all kinds of things to help you focus on this principle to better your life. And like I said, there's 16 principles. So this is a $15 package that comes with all of these things I've shown you, $21 with shipping and handling, and you can get it at laughsandlyrics.com. So Zenergize Your Life with me. Thank you.